Good, good, good. Praise God. We got a lot to be thankful for. God is good. Amen. Y'all got any prayer requests this morning? Anybody that you'd like to mention this morning? The 24th, all right. Let's remember her. That's no little deal there. That's a pretty serious deal. Uh, anybody else? Yes, Miss Jackie. Your papa. Okay. Anybody else? Mom? Yes, my Aunt Mary Ruth. Y'all please remember her. She's on hospice care. <clears throat> yes, Miss Charlotte, your shoulder. Okay. All right. Anything else? Your tailbone's healing up? Was that? Mm-hmm. Mercy. All right. We'll, we'll lift him up. He's going for a stress test in the morning. Okay. All right. Your sister-in-law. Eva. Eva. Oh, okay. Yeah. Eva. Okay. I know Eva. Yeah. And when you said that, it didn't occur to me who you're talking about, but I know now. Yeah. And it's my Eva. All right. You start going to the doctor, go to the doctor, Yeah, that's the way it, that's the way it turns into. <laughs> Y'all please remember my wife as well. She's doing better. She's just having a hard time catching her breath. But uh, she said tell everybody she would definitely see everybody next Sunday and keep praying for her. Anybody else? Yes. Yeah, let's remember Anya in prayer and Phyllis as well. Anything else? Anybody else before we go to the Lord in prayer? All right. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Robert, lead us in prayer this morning. Amen. You can be seated. Jesus alone. Tell it to Jesus. 
Jesus. He is a friend that will know. He is no other, such a friend or brother. Tell it to Jesus alone. To the tears flow. Are you anxious? What shall be tomorrow? Tell it to Jesus alone. Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. He is a friend that will know. You no other such a friend or brother. Tell it to Jesus alone. And the last. Are you troubled at the thought of dying? Tell it to Jesus, tell it to Jesus. For Christ's coming, kingdom are you sighing? Tell it to Jesus alone. Tell it to Jesus, tell it to Jesus. He is a friend that will know. You know others. Such a friend or brother, tell it to Jesus alone. Amen. Well, let's turn over to, let's see what number, 337. 337, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, trust and obey, 337. When we walk with the Lord, in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy. to trust and obey. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the sky, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt or a fear, not a sign or a tear, can abide while we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil he does richly repay. Not a grief nor a loss, not a crown or a cross, but it's blessed if we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy 
And we're going to look at the first five verses of that chapter this morning. And uh, we'll try not to be too long about doing it. But I want to cover at least those five verses. I, I appreciate your prayers this week as we've been trying to get over this COVID stuff. I was thankful that I was able to uh, to uh, bring a message to you Wednesday night, and uh, that was an interesting place to do it. I've never sat on the side of a Dollar General and preached before, but, you know, it wasn't so bad. I tell you, it was a mess because my wife said, where are you going to preach at? I said, I don't know, in here in the living room. She said, well, it's awful loud in the house. She said, and Savannah's about to get up. She's going to be making noise. The TV will be going, I don't know how you're going to do it in here. And there really ain't anywhere else to get because it's so cold everywhere else. I really didn't have anywhere to go. I said, well, I guess I can go do it in the truck. Then it occurred to me, boy, it's dark outside. I don't know what you're planning on doing. So I'm I'm driving up and down 271 thinking, where in the world am I going to get? So I I, I drove to Prairie Land High School and pulled up in their parking lot. And I'm thinking, everybody's going to think, what is this weirdo doing sitting over in the edge of the parking lot with his interior light on, this ain't going to work. So driving back home, I texted my wife. I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. She said, go to Dollar General. There's plenty of light there. So that's what I did. So thank God for my wife and uh, her idea. But anyway, it's a blessing. You know, normally on a, on a, on a Sunday or on a Wednesday, either one, uh, you know, we broadcast these. We put them on Facebook Live and We've been getting, on average, about 150 listens per, per message, and that, that's incredible. I look at here out here this morning. There's nowhere close to 150 people here, but we're getting this plus 150 more with each service. Well, it's Wednesday night, I have to notice, and as of this morning, there was about 250 had watched Wednesday night. 250, and I mean, we had folks from Arkansas. Uh, folks I used to go to church with, had some church Christ that I've known for a long time that were watching Wednesday night. We had a bunch of people watching. So y'all keep praying for that. Keep praying for people that keep tuning in. And I don't know if, if what it is that's causing them to tune in, but I'm thankful for whatever it is. So y'all just y'all just continue to pray that God will continue to work in that area. Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Let's look at that and read this morning. Paul said, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. May the Lord add his blessing this morning to the reading of his word. And let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you today. And Lord, we need you. Lord, as I told you on the way over here, it's all for nothing unless, you're, unless you have your hand all over it. Lord, I know that I'm I'm nothing without you. Lord, there's nothing about me that's any good without you. And there's nothing I can do this morning that'll be any good without you do it through me. So I put myself in your hands. I yield myself to you the best I know how. And I plead with you for Holy Ghost power. I plead with you to take control of this vessel and fill me and pour me out over and over for your glory. Lord, that you might be honored, that you might be glorified, that Jesus might be magnified. 
that the name of the Lord might be lifted up and praised. Father, I pray for each one under the sound of my voice this morning. Lord, whether they be in this building or whether they listen in now or in the future, Lord, I pray now, Holy Ghost, I pray your power over all of it. I pray for you to work and convict and lead and draw and, and, and do your work, Lord. I pray, Father, you have your will and way in our lives. Touch each person. Lord, you know their needs this morning. You know exactly what they're dealing with. You know exactly what their needs are. And I pray, Lord, that you would address and meet those needs. That Lord, when we leave here, when we're done, we will say it's good that we've been in the house of the Lord. It's good that we've met with the Lord this morning. Lord, we just want to praise you and thank you now and give you all the glory for it ahead of time. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, as we've gone through this second letter, the second epistle to the Thessalonian church, <clears throat> chapter 1, of course, we, we dealt with the fact that they were still going through troubles and hardships, and Paul was encouraging them in the Lord not to give up, but to keep going. And, and to remain strong and to realize that these things were taking place in their life because they'd been saved, because they'd been called out from the world, because they were new in Christ, and because the world did not uh, did not love Christ, but, but because the world hated Christ, the world hated them as a result, and, and they were suffering uh, as a result of Christ and not because of their own self, and so they would be rewarded for doing so. And, and Paul told them that, you know, that, that those that persecuted them, they're going to pay for it. And, and listen, the fact that they were suffering, Paul called it a manifest token. That's evidence that Christ is in you. That's evidence that you're that God is wor- at work in your life is the fact that you're going through these things. And uh, because the church at Jerusalem had suffered, and they were called to suffer the same. And then in the second chapter, uh, we, we, we talked about the fears that they had because of course, uh, there had been people that had tried to destroy the church had come in there that had been telling them, look, you guys missed the rapture. Jesus already come, and y'all have missed it. So y'all are, y'all are living in the midst of uh, all these troubles that are going to come on the earth, and, and it's just too bad. You, you missed it all. So they were, some of them were scared, and some of them were ready to give up. And, and uh, so Paul's writing this, this second letter to encourage them. And now we've, 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 we've come down through that, and we, he's described to them, look, there's no reason for you to panic. There's no reason for you to fear Jesus is coming, and when he comes, he's coming for you, and, and it's going to be all right. And so he's got them assured that, that all these things are going to come to pass exactly the same way that he told them when he was there, and he got that settled in them. And now he comes down to the end of chapter 2 and into chapter 3, and he, he begins with finally. Finally. This third chapter, we're going to look at, we're going to look at some of the privileges and some of the responsibilities that belong to a believer, okay? As Paul is finishing out this letter, he turn, again, he, he, he's, he's following up with, okay, I want to I lay on you some things you need to be focused on. He's told them not to, what, not to be afraid of, but now he's giving them some things to be focused on. And, and these things, these are, these are privileges that belong not just to the church at, at Thessalonica, but the privileges that belong to you this morning, as the Lord's Church at Clarksville, Texas, because we are—we're the church—we're the church at Clarksville, just like they were the church in Thessalonica. We're the church in Clarksville Street uh, on Short Street, and and these privileges are yours, and these responsibilities also belong to you, not just to them back then, but but they belong to everybody who's a child of God 
in anybody who's a member of the body of Christ. And, and the first thing that I want to point out is this exhortation that Paul gives. It is a reminder that all of us need prayer, every single one of us. I know you know that. I know you need prayer in your life. If, you, if you're living and breathing, you need prayer. You've got problems. you got uh, you know, it's just like the Lord says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I always look at that verse. If you labored, that means you brought it on yourself. You caused your own problem. You dug your own hole and you fell into it. You labored. But then you're heavy laden sometimes, and that means you didn't cause the problem. Somebody else brought the problem to you, and now you're carrying it. But regardless, we need to come to him. We need to take it to him. We need to, uh, to bring these things to him. And, and and not try to deal with them ourselves. We need to we need to be coming to the Lord no matter what. So we need to be we need to be focused on prayer this morning. And our song service started out talking about prayer. And uh, so anyway, so he's telling them he's reminding them he's reminding them uh, of their need for prayer and in their difficulties. And they're certainly in the midst of difficulties because again, let me let me remind you. You know, this is the first church that's ever been in Thessalonica. First time anybody there had ever heard of Christianity. And, again, the Romans, who had their own gods, they served Mithras and they served uh, several other gods. And, 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 and then you have the Greeks, and they served their gods. And, and these people, Jesus was a foreigner. He was somebody they didn't know, they'd never heard of, and they didn't, they didn't, they didn't want him because he claimed, they claimed he was the only one. And, of course, that was offensive to them. That's offensive to the world today, offensive to people around you. How could he possibly be the only one? Uh, but he is. Praise God, he is. So, like I said, they're in the midst of these difficulties, and Paul's trying to help them. Paul's trying to comfort them. And he's trying to do that by reminding them of some great truths that go along with the faith that they believe in. And at the same time that he's trying to do that, he talks to them about uh, their continued obligation to serve the Lord. You know, they, they, just because you're going through trials in life, I want you to hear what I'm saying. Just because you're going through trials in life, you may be under some heavy burden in your life. That doesn't exempt us from the responsibility to serve the Lord and to serve others around us. You say, well, you just don't know what I'm going through. Well, sit in the corner and sulk. That'll really help you. Just sit in the corner, stick your bottom lip out until it hits the floor, and, and feel sorry for yourself. No, they won't do a thing for you. And, and while Paul is writing this, this letter to the Thessalonians about the troubles and the, and, and, the, and the Lord's comfort and help that he has for them, he hadn't really talked about the things that he's gone through. He's kind of held back about telling them about his own troubles. Uh, but he had a bunch of them. Paul had had tons of troubles and difficulties. You know, you got to think about Paul. And Paul had a hard time. We don't really think about the hard time that Paul had, but he did. And what a, I mean, if you really consider it, Paul's life was a lonely life. First of all, we don't we don't know 100% sure that Paul was married, but I assume he was. From the position that he was in, I assume that he would have been a married man. The Bible doesn't talk about what happened to his wife, but Evidently, I would, I would, again, these are all assumptions, but I would assume that based on what happened in his life, she probably told him, I'm done with you. If you want Jesus, I'm done. His whole family would have turned their back on him. Everybody would have dis disowned Paul. And so Paul is off 
off on a ministry that God has sent him on, and it's a lonely ministry. You think about it, Paul, Paul traveling from place to place, going from town to town, coming into strange cities where not one single person was there to greet him. Not one single person was there to say, hi, how you doing, Paul? Good to see you. Come on in. Stay a while. There was no place for him to go. He wasn't, listen, they wouldn't like today. Even preachers today, if they go somewhere, you know, they put them up in a nice hotel, make sure they got everything they need. They'd give them a gift basket and put it in the room with snacks and bottled water and all this kind of stuff. And, and you know, they got a nice love offering waiting for them at the end of their time there and pats on the back all around. Listen, it wasn't that way with Paul. Paul had to find his own way. He showed up in town. There wasn't nobody there. Paul, if there was going to be a public meeting somewhere, Paul had to arrange it himself. He didn't have he didn't have a committee working ahead of him trying to get things lined out, make sure there was all kinds of people showed up for it. No, he had to do that. He had to work amongst the heathen to get all that done. And in the in the middle of all that, I mean, he had to somehow try to maintain a faithful, consistent testimony for Christ in the middle of that amongst the heathen. So Paul Paul ain't got an easy road that he's going down. Uh, you know, he's facing tri- tribulations. He's facing opposition everywhere he goes. But he's the face of Christianity to the entire Gentile world. <clears throat> apart apart from fellowship with the Lord, Paul's ministry was a difficult and a solitary task. And it was one in which there was a lot of discouragements along the way. I mean, he'd been through it. A few years later, Paul writes about his trials in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 28. I want you to listen to what he describes as what he was going through. And he's describing to other people when he says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. He says, In labors more abundant. I was always working. I always was trying to do something for God. He said, In stripes above measure. And when I'd go, I'd end up, I'd end up having to be punished for what I was doing because they hated what I was doing. He's saying, I got beat a lot for what I did. I was in prisons more frequently. They throw me in prison a lot. In death, uh, so I was facing death quite a few times. I mean, I listen, I've been through some hard things in my life, but I don't recall anybody ever saying, I'm fixing to kill you for what you're preaching. I don't know that anybody in here, I miss Shirley, I doubt anybody's ever come in there and said, I'm going to kill you for teaching Sunday school. I doubt anybody in here has ever been standing around talking to somebody about Jesus and somebody said, if you don't shut up talking about him, I'm going to kill you. I don't think any of us have ever faced anything like that, but Paul certainly did. He said it happened oft, oft. So quite often he de- he dealt with life and death situations. He said, of the Jews, five times received that 40 stripes, save one. 39 stripes he received five times. I don't – let's see, that, that would be um, – what? 195, is that right? Is that right? 195 stripes he received. That's a lot. Hey, listen, that's not just a, a leather piece of leather that leaves a welt. That's the kind, that the, the braided kind with, with pieces of bone braided in or pieces of porcelain braided in or pieces of ceramic braided in or, or pieces of metal braided in or broken glass braided in, however, whatever they chose to put in there. So when they throw that whip, it would hang it would, Dig into the skin and rip the skin loose when it came back with it. He had 195 furrows on his back. Don't you know when Paul got undressed, he looked like a horrible mess? Don't you know he was sore all the time? Don't you know every time he he couldn't get comfortable at night because of his aches and pains? Hmm. 
He said, three times I was beaten with rods. And when I picture a rod, I, I, I'm picturing something big. I'm, I, when I think of a rod, I think of one hanging in a closet that you hang clothes on. He's not talking about a little stick. He's talking about something that's big enough that, that don't give when it gets hit with. And so three times, that was his punishment, and I'm sure it was by a very big grown man that hit him with those rods. It wasn't, it wasn't just like, well, he just got tapped a few times. No, he was beaten with it on purpose. Once I was stoned, we know about that, what happened at Lister, where they picked up rocks and they threw rocks at him until he was dead and they threw him outside the city. But God raised him up from that. He said, thrice, three times I suffered shipwreck. Three times. In the service of the Lord, he was on a ship that was going to go down. Now, I don't know about y'all, but if it was me, and I'm out trying to serve God, and I'm on a ship three different times, and it's about to go down. I might get the idea, maybe God don't want me getting on boats no more. <laughs> I don't know. I might get that feeling. God, maybe this was a mistake to get on this boat. Three times it happened to him. He said, a day and a night, I've been in the deep. So he was floating out there in the deep on boards for, for, a, for, a, for a night and a day. I mean, and, and you know, you could go down, you could drown, a shark could get you. Anything could happen out there in the middle of the water. He said, in journeyings often, I was always traveling somewhere, in perils of waters. Every time I got out in the water, there was something going wrong. In perils of robbers, tried to go on the land. People were trying to rob me and take everything I had. In perils by my own countrymen, when the Jews would see me, they'd try to come and take me out. In perils by the heathen. If it wasn't my, my own countrymen, it was the strangers who would see me coming, and they'd try to take me out. He said, I was in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, which is the country. Didn't make any difference in town or out in the woods. Makes no difference where I was at. There was always something coming after me. In perils in the sea, in perils amongst false brethren. Had people trying to stab me in the back, lying to my face, trying to take me out. In weariness and painfulness. I guess so. You go through enough of those beatings, eventually every day is, is an ache and a pain all day long. In watchings often. He said, you know, a lot of times I didn't even know I was going to make it. That's what he's saying. In watchings often. I, 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 it was just like, God, if you don't show up and, and, and give me what I need, I'm not going to survive. That's what that means. So he was in a lot of times where, again, where he didn't know how he's going to make it. And I know you and I, we, we've had we've had, we've had had troubles and we've had trials. And we've, we've had some scares here and there and scrapes. But are we living a life where it's every day like that? I don't think so. <clears throat> in hunger and thirst, I can look around the room and tell ain't none of us got that problem. We're all eating pretty good. We want something to drink, we go to the refrigerator. We want something to drink, we stop at the store. Paul wasn't in that shape. Paul had a whole different life than you and I have. He was in fastings often where he didn't have anything to eat, but it wasn't out of choice, I don't think. I think it was the fact that he didn't have anything to eat. He said, in cold and nakedness. So I didn't have a coat to put on. I didn't have proper clothes to wear when it got cold. And he said, you know, besides all those things which are without, the things that I'm talking about that have happened to me, he said, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. So I had all those other things coming at me. The devil was coming at me with all these other things trying to stop me 
day after day after day after day. Paul is saying, I had plenty of reasons to give up and quit. I, if you were looking for a reason, I could have handed you a pocket full of reasons why I should have quit and give up and said, forget this. This is hard. This is difficult. Not only is this taking a toll on me mentally, not only is this taking a toll on, on me in every which way, but it's taking a toll on me physically, and it's a hard ministry, a hard life. And, I, and beyond all that, I've got to deal with everybody else's problems everywhere I go. That's what Paul was saying. Now, all that is the background that this is built upon. Did you hear Paul complain? As a matter of fact, all this stuff was going on, and he doesn't write about this until 2 Corinthians, which is later on down the line. All these things are taking place while he's dealing with the Thessalonican church, and he's going through all that, and yet all that going on, he's not saying much of nothing about it. This is, again, this is all years later. So while all this is going on, what does Paul do? Paul just says, hey, y'all pray for me. He didn't complain. He didn't He didn't unload all his grief on them. No, he just said, hey, don't forget, y'all. I need your prayers too. Because you're not the only ones that are going through troubles. And that's solid advice, folks. That's solid advice. One of the best ways, hear me, one of the best ways if you want help in dealing with your problems, you've got burdens in your life, if you've got things that you're going through that are weighing you down, if you want help with your burdens, I can tell you how. You need to help somebody else with their burdens. You set to fixing other people's burdens, and yours will get lighter. <coughs> As you pray for other people's burdens, it'll make your own load seem lighter. His readers, he said, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. You know, the average, I, I think the average churchgoer probably has no idea how much the pastor depends on the prayers of those who come to church. I, I don't know if you realize that. I, I can tell you this. I'm just going to share my heart with you this morning. I've, I've, I've told a couple of you this, but I don't. I don't know what it is since I went through the COVID this time. But I was telling Bonnie Sunday. I said, you know, I just, I just feel like I'm in a fog. I just feel like I, I, I feel like I couldn't get a hold of God. I, I feel like I couldn't. Like my prayers were bouncing off the ceiling. Like I just felt like I, I was just so far from God, and I felt so helpless. I'm not too proud to admit, I I, I cried and prayed all the way to church this morning because I have felt so under a cloud. I don't know how to describe it. Just just felt weak and more weak and helpless than I have in, in years and years and years. And I depend on your prayers. I depend on you lifting me up in prayer because I can tell you the devil don't want me preaching. I can tell you the devil wants me to hush. The devil doesn't want you to get what you need. The devil doesn't want these people that listen in all around the country to hear the message that they need to hear. He wants us to shut up and go away. And so I beg you, don't ever forget to pray for your preacher. Lift lift me up in prayer. Take me to the throne of grace. I need it. I need it regularly. 
whenever an evangelist, a pastor, or a Bible teacher, pray for for your Sunday school teachers, too. Pray pray for Miss Shirley when she teaches Sunday school. Listen, pray for me when I'm teaching Sunday school. Anytime we attempt to preach or to teach the Word of God, we're not only up against failure on the part of the audience to listen because you can study all week long. You can prepare and have the best message in the world lined up and, and come up here to preach it and somebody sit out there and daydream and miss the whole thing. So you're up against that to start with, but you're also up against the unseen powers of darkness which are trying to stop you. you got to understand, when I get behind this wood, I'm engaging in, in cosmic spiritual warfare. I'm battling against the devil and all of his forces. Anytime somebody begins to teach the Word of God, they're battling against the devil and all of his forces are trying to come against them to stop them. All the powers of hell are set in array against me. Whenever somebody tries to do something to the Lord, it doesn't make any difference what it is. A spiritual battle ensues. Listen, the devil, devil hates it. Anytime God's people try to do anything, the devil hates it. And you can't win that battle by yourself. I can't win that battle by myself. Listen, there ain't never been a preacher that's been used to God that wasn't supported by God's people in prayer, that did anything for God. But on the other hand, you take just an ordinary man or woman who ain't necessarily been to college or or any any kind of great education in the Bible, they can still accomplish great things for God if God's people will pray for them. I look back through history. I know y'all know the name D.L. Moody. How many of y'all know the name D.L. Moody? Do you know he was a very he he was a, a uneducated man. He he was a, basically a street kid. Somebody gave him a job. I want to say uh, in, a, in a shoe store, I think. And uh, he started teaching Sunday school. And God just used him because he had such heart for God. God used him tremendously, and he ended up building a great, huge church in Chicago. Now, how did that happen? God did it. It wasn't D.L. Moody. It was God. But like I said, Paul Paul was a great leader. There's no doubt about that. And God had gave Paul wonderful spiritual gifts. He he'd marvelously called him to serve him, and he had used him miraculously. But Paul would have been the first one to confess to you, I can't do it alone. i got to have your prayers. I need your prayers. He was a great apostle, but he was willing to humbly ask brand-new Christians, baby Christians, please pray for me. Behind every victory for the Word of God, there has to be a victory in prayer first. That battle is fought before before the message goes forth. Dr. John R. Rice wrote in his great book, and in receiving, he said, all of your failures, are prayer failures, all of them. When we fail to pray, we we plan to. Uh, we, let's see. When we when we when we fail to pray, we we plan to fail because we've not asked God. I read about another man of God who who when he was asked how things were going in his church, here's how he replied. He said, "We're going forward on our knees." That's what we all need to do if we're going forward into anything. We need to go forward on our knees. We need to lay it at, at, at God's altar before we move forward. And when we're doing the Lord's work, 
If we're not on our knees, then our progress doesn't amount to much. We can't do much until we turn it over to God. It has to be progress that's made in prayer or it won't it won't last and it won't amount to anything. No matter what we set out to do for the Lord, we've got to pray. We've got to turn it over to him. We've got to ask for him to put his power into it. You know, God hadn't called everybody to be a great preacher or a great uh, teacher or a great leader. Some people couldn't lead a Sunday school class if their life depended on it. They just don't have the gift to do it. Some could and some, some can't. But on the other hand, it's amazing what God can do with somebody who's just willing. For somebody who just says to God, Lord, I don't know what you can do with me, but if you'll use me, I want you to use me. That's a, that's what God's looking for. You know, I, somebody said a long time ago, I read, God is not interested in your ability. He's interested in your availability. God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. He just needs a stick that he reaches to give. <clears throat> Some people have more gifts than they realize, and they ought to use them, but they're just too bashful. Like, oh, I couldn't ever mount anything. I couldn't do anything for God. Oh, yeah, you could if you just put yourself in God's hand. But we have to pray. We have to pray. You see, pray, that's the thing about prayer. Prayer is not a spiritual gift. Everybody can pray. Anybody can pray. Prayer is your privilege. It's the privilege of every child of God. It don't make no difference if you can if you can utter if you can utter a sound you can pray even if you can't utter a sound if if you can't speak you can speak from the heart you can pray from your heart. God's given us the ability to speak and thank God for it. And he, but He's also given us the privilege to talk to Him on our knees. He's given us the privilege to cry from our heart and tell Him everything that's down in it. You know the great thing about prayer, the most miraculous thing about it, we're all on the same level. There's no experts at prayer. No beginners and no experts. You know, when a baby's laying in that manger, all that baby got to do is open its mouth and cry out. Mama knows exactly what the baby's saying. Help. Help. And that's what prayer is. Prayer is us crying out, God, help. I need you. I need you, Father. You know, some believers know more than others. That's true. Some of us are very educated in the Bible. But in the work of prayer, you don't come to God in your own name, in your own intellect. You come to God in the name of Christ. What more can anybody want than that, you know? Small child, mature saint, don't make no difference. We both got the same equal access at the throne of grace. God doesn't say, no, 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 this one's known me a lot longer. You have to wait back there. No, God's not like that. Come boldly to the throne of grace. We'll receive grace to help in time of need. In writing to the Thessalonians, who were young Christians and were probably hyper-focused on their own needs at the time because they're going through so many things, what's Paul say? Y'all need to pray. You need to pray. Prayer is effective in overcoming opposition. When something's coming against you and you don't know what else to do, I know people say, well, I guess all we can do is pray. No, that's what you need to do. That's not all we can do. That's what you need to do. People say that it gets under my skin. It's like, well, I guess as a last resort, if nothing else works, we tried everything else. 
I guess we can try prayer. That's the way they sound when they say that. And I just want to go, pray first. Turn it over to God. Quit being so stubborn and trying to do it your way. That doesn't ever work, so I don't do that. But that's what I want to do. Amen. I want to urge them, get your head in the game. Get Focus on what you're supposed to be doing and talk to God. Quit trying to handle it yourself. Paul said, Paul said in verse 2, the reason he's saying it, you know, it, it, prayer works. He said, so pray that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Everywhere he went, he ran straight into unreasonable men and wicked men who didn't believe it, didn't want it. And sometimes when we're trying to do God's work, we're going to experience opposition. We're going to experience hindrances. Now, most people don't. And the reason they don't is because they're not a big enough threat to the enemy for him to waste some opposition on. That's the sad reality that we're living in today. Most people don't, again, most people, most people don't have, the devil don't bother them. Because, again, they're not trying to do anything for God enough to cause a stink. And the devil doesn't, he's not bothered by them. But if you step out on faith, if you say, you know what, I'm going to serve God. I, I, I've wasted God's time long enough. I have, I have spun my wheels in this world long enough, and I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm going to live for God. You're going to meet opposition. I can assure you that. Don't let that stop you. Let that be an encouragement to you. Listen, if the devil ain't butting heads with you, you're not doing it. If we lived in a lot of other parts of the world, in this day and time, we know what it means to uh, to endure the opposition of those who are hostile to Christ. Because, believe you me, in other parts of the world, they're facing it. I've got a good friend. I've mentioned him a number of times. His name is Richard Miller. He, he's a missionary to Fiji and Papua New Guinea, and, and he's been my friend for a long, long time. And, and, I, and I'm sitting listening to him tell me stories of, of being in those countries and being around the witchcraft and things. And, he was telling me one story one year when I was down at a camp meeting. He was talking about he was staying at, at a house that these people had left for him to stay in. Uh, and he was there, and I think it was in Fiji, but, but uh, he was staying in their home, and, and, uh, and they just left the home there for him to stay in. He, there was nobody there but him. And he said he was asleep in the bedroom, and the house was locked that night. He said, and he said in the middle of the night, he woke up, somebody standing outside that bedroom door and pounding on that door with everything they had. I didn't want to get up out of the bed, you know what I mean? Terrified. What am I doing here? What's going on? And he said, you know, and, and, and I said, hey! And they just kept pounding on the door. He said he could see foot, the feet, the shadows, the two feet standing outside the door. He said that continued on for a good long while. He said, I just began to pray and pray out loud to God. He said, and when I got done praying, I looked up and the feet were gone. No, well, next morning he said, I got up, I, I went down, I couldn't find anybody, couldn't find any, any sign of any intrusion or anything. He said, but I'm going to tell you something. There was something in that house, and it was something that didn't want me there. I'm going to tell you, the devil will try his best to, to stop you. He'll try his best to scare you. He'll try his best to run you off. He'll try his best to do whatever he can. And, again, we don't, we don't deal with a lot of kind of things like that in America, but it's coming. I don't know if y'all y'all realize that this nation is giving itself over to Satan worship. I don't know if y'all. I'm sure everybody's heard about the Grammy Awards, where they had basically a satanic worship service there at the Grammy Awards with with the whore Madonna and 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 that whatever that guy's name that was with her. 
I mean, they had. They, I didn't see it. I didn't watch it because I wouldn't watch such a thing. But I've seen pictures that people had posted, and I and and I and I saw a little short video clip of Madonna, and and oh my goodness, folks, this world's going to hell in a hurry. It's going to hell, and our country's going to hell, and and there ain't hardly anybody that's, that's that's upset enough to try to do anything about it, folks. We got to, we got to turn ourselves over to God. We're going to have to cry out to God. We're going to have to pray. We're going to have to pray harder than we prayed in our lives. We're going to, listen. I'm telling you, the time is short. It's so short. And 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 I, I fear someday we're going to stand. We're going to stand there for God, and we're going to wish we had done something. We're going to wish we'd spoke up. We're going to wish we had spoke out. You know, I. I Talking about opposition, you know, again, and it coming to America. You know, we don't. It's not that that hard. I mean, you could probably you could we could probably get out there this afternoon down on the town square down here and and hold up scripture signs and try to hand out gospel tracts and and I don't think we'd probably run into anybody who was trying to run us off the square. We probably we probably wouldn't have any trouble at all. But you know what? You try to do that in Oregon. You try to do that in places in California. You try to do that on the streets of Las Vegas, Nevada. You find you gonna find out what devils look like in real in in flesh. You start doing that in public in some places. You know, but even even in America, sometimes people risk losing their jobs if they speak out as a Christian. They they sometimes they risk losing their lives to speak out to the wrong person. If you take a bold stand, we need deliverance. We need divine deliverance. We need God's help as we preach the gospel. Not only from satanic power, but also from human instruments that are under the power of Satan that would try to stop us. But our weapon, our weapon, thank God, is prayer. We can go to God, and over and over, we need to come back to that statement in Ephesians 6.12, which says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We need to remember that. Even though the devil uses flesh and blood, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Our battle is against the demonic forces of Satan that operate behind the scenes. It's not the people. It's those that he, it's it's, it's what what, what Satan's using to control those people. And that's the real battle. And that's why in Ephesians 6.18 we're exhorted to be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. What does that mean? Let me read that to you again. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. What does that mean? For those of you who don't know what supplication means, you know, we pray, we say, Dear Lord, and prayer is asking. Prayer is saying, Dear Lord, I need your help. Oh Lord, please help me. But supplication is when is when listen when we just turn it all loose. I mean, when we listen, if we if we need to cry, we cry. If we need let's not run out our nose and tears float out our cheeks. Get on our faces and, and breathe into the carpet. Hey, listen, when you're laying it all out there to God and begging Him, oh God, please, that's supplication. And Paul said that's the kind of praying we need to be doing. We need to pray hard. We need to pray thoroughly. In the spirit, just, I mean, listen, let everything else go and forget everybody else is around and get with God. 
And he says, and watching thereunto. So that means when we pray, don't forget you prayed. Get up and go to looking for the answer. Waiting, expecting with expectation for God to hear and to do what you've asked him to do. That's what God that's what God wants us to do when we pray, is to remember and to look for it to take place. Watching thereunto with all perseverance. And supplication for all saints. Listen, as we're waiting for God to answer, sometimes we just need to get right back in that place of prayer and say, oh, God, please, I'm begging. I'm waiting for you to answer. Oh, Lord, please give us what we pray for. Paul is encouraging us to do that. Because the victory is only available to us through prayer. Because praying is asking. And God is the source. And unless we're going to the source and seeking what we need from the source, we won't get what we need. And if we don't get what we need, then we're not going to be victorious. So we need to be calling. We need to, listen, we need to be getting a hold of heaven. You know, in modern warfare, a nation that has air superiority that can just fly in and drop bombs all over the place, that's the one that's going to win. Okay, and and likewise in the spiritual war that we're in, the person who controls the air through prayer is going to win the spiritual war. And this prayer is, is first of all for the word of God and its power, and then prayer for deliverance from ungodly opposition. Paul focuses not on his only on his own problems, but also on the effectiveness. Of his ministry for the Lord, I got to hurry. I'm I don't run. I'm gonna run out of time. I got to hurry. I ain't gonna finish this. In Ephesians six eighteen through twenty, Paul again asks for prayer for success in his ministry. Listen, he says, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open to my mouth boldly. Pray and pray for me that I speak boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in bonds, and that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. The success of God's work and his word going forth. That was Paul's passion, and that's what he's praying. Please pray that whenever I get ready to preach, that God gets in the message and it goes forth and it, it goes down into the hearts of the hearers and it has the proper effect. A word of assurance follows in verse 3. He says, but the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. You know, as sad as it is to admit, we can be unfaithful in our commitments. We can break our promises as believers. But God doesn't. We can count on God because God's faithful. God never broke a promise. And one thing we can learn through different experiences in life that even though we may be unfaithful, again, God never is unfaithful to us. Never. We can always depend on God to do exactly what he's promised that he'll do. In 1 Thessalonians 5.24, it says, Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. God's faithful to hear and to answer prayer. And Paul reminded them of this. And he'll guard us against the attacks that Satan puts on us. And this is another way 
of expressing the, the truth that we find in Romans 8, 28. Y'all know what it says. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And we know that. Listen, again, all, God, God has called us to something, and God is going to accomplish his purposes. Don't let everything going on around you make you believe, hey, well, Evidently, God's not going to do what he said he's going to do because all these bad things are happening in my life. No, listen, don't let those things distract you from what God is doing in your life because God's got a purpose and he's going to bring you to it. And all these things are working together for your good. He's reminding these these Thessalonians that even, even in their trials and tribulations that they're going through, and they're going through them that God's still faithfully working. Even though you may not be able to see it all at the moment, just trust God and keep walking. Keep trusting and keep working because God is going to work all these things out in your life for your good and for his glory simultaneously. And Paul, you know, and Paul anticipated that they're going to do exactly the things that he's writing to them about because in verse 4 he, he tells them, he says, we have this confidence in the Lord touching you that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. We know you're going to. Listen, surely you will. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of turning back. I mean, where was, where was they going to gonna just give up on it and walk away? <clears throat> Let me ask you a question. Can people depend on us to do the right thing? Can people depend on you to do the right thing? Can you be counted on? If somebody if somebody has to depend on you, can they count on you to, to, to do something? Can God count on you? When somebody needs to be a witness, can God count on you to be a witness to somebody? When God needs somebody to worship him, can you be counted on to worship him regardless of what anybody around you thinks? When somebody needs prayer, can you be counted on to pray for them? Or do you have a problem praying for somebody in public? As Paul wrote to the Thessalonian believers, he had confidence in them that they were going to be faithful. And my prayer is that others have confidence in us, that when the time comes, we'll be faithful as well. And I want you to look at verse 5 when we come to the end of this. He said, And the Lord directs your hearts into the love of God, and into the patient waiting for Christ. And here he's going to point them in a different direction. This verse is just a short little phrase, but it says so much. We're in a world that's vying for our attention. Everywhere you turn, this world is trying to get your attention. It's trying to get your your focus off of, of Jesus. It tries to get you caught up in every little thing every new little fad that comes down the line, every new fashion thing, every every new technological thing, whatever it is, get your eyes off of God's Word and get it lusting after something new. That's what this world wants to do to you. And so the issue comes up as to what really comes first in our personal lives. What comes first in your life? Now let's be honest and let's think about what I'm about to say. Which of these order of these things in your life? God, self, friends, family, and loved ones. If we were honest, what would that order be? 
What's number one in our life? And I know everybody here probably go, well, God's number one. But is he? Or is it your family? There's some people who would say God was first, but the truth, the reality of it is, if something came up with their family, they they drop God in a hurry to take care of family. Now, I'm not talking about anybody in particular, but I'm saying they've been, I've known plenty of Christians that really and truly their, their, their loyalty is to their kids over God. Their loyalty is to their spouse over God because they'll put God on the back burner for any of them. Some, especially young people, their friends are more important than God. A lot of people, their self is way more important than God. And you know who their God really is? It's their person in the mirror when it comes to that. See, it's not, a, it's not an easy question to answer. But then, then on top of all that, then you got the temptation of money. A lot of people get caught up in money. And the scriptures warn us against that. Uh, it says over in First Timothy 6, 9, and 10, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men, destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That's That's terrible. And you know what? I've seen that happen to people, and I know you have too. You know the thing of it is, you don't have to be rich to love money. You don't have to be rich. You can still you can be poor and still have this problem and love money. And, and it ain't just money. It's things. The temptation to love things and to have the power to do what money can do. Some people. And And, and the thing of it is, all of us have desires, so none of us are exempt from the clutches of temptations of greed or money and those things. It can it can affect all of us if we're not careful. So you got all these things out there in this world that are trying to get your attention away from God. And then another another lure is the lure of the world. The lure of its pleasures, the lure of its comforts, the lure of its appearance. And it's vying for you constantly. Why? Because you you have a need to fit in. You have a need to, to for others to to like you. You have a need for for to again for others to not look at you as something wrong with you. What's wrong with you? You don't want people looking at you like that. So you try to fit in as best you can. But it's hard to fit in with the world and fit in with God. You can't do both. You can't straddle that fence. And it's dangerous for a Christian to set their heart. On, on something or anything other than the Lord. It's, it's dangerous. In Second in Second Timothy 4.10, there's, there's a short little brief mention of somebody who did just that. Paul said, for Demas hath forsaken me. He turned his back on me, and Demas was a helper of Paul's. He hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. He looked at Paul and said, Paul, you know what? Your life is hard, man. What you're doing is tough. This is hard to do what you do. And and I had a good life back there in Thessalonica. He was from Thessalonica. I had a good life back there, and I'm going back to it. And that's where he went. The Bible said he departed unto Thessalonica. And recognizing this constant temptation, Paul told the Thessalonians, he, he told them in, in the midst of their trials and their troubles and their service for the Lord, he said, don't forget to love God. 
Don't forget to love the Lord. Listen, you get so bogged down in, in, in serving somebody, and you, and you know, I guarantee every wife in here knows what I'm about to say. You can get so busy taking care of somebody and doing for that somebody, you forget to love them. Start looking at it as a job, as a chore. And if you don't work at loving them, you'll end up resenting them. That's the truth, and I know y'all know I'm telling the truth. You have to work at love, too. And while we're and while we're serving God, while we're working for God, let's make sure that we are loving God. That's one of the most important lessons in your life you need to learn. The Lord is more interested in your heart than he is in what you're doing, in what you're giving, or in what you're saying. God wants to know what's in your heart. God wants your heart to love him. He wants your love. And if he has your love, hey, everything else will fall into place if you love him with all your heart. And that's why Paul exhorted them, and he said, direct your hearts. Direct your, point your heart at the love of God. You know, if I, if I take a bow and I take an arrow and lay it across the string and I pull it back, it's going wherever I aim it. And that's what I need to do with my love. I need to aim it at God. If I if I aim my love at God, everything else is going to work. <clears throat> Along with love, the Thessalonians needed the patient waiting for Christ. To our patient waiting for Him that is coming, because He's coming, and and I and I know that I feel that today more than I have ever felt that. With all the things that are taking place in our world around us, I know He's coming soon. He's got to be coming soon. And once again, Paul sets before them this idea of expectation. He says, waiting for Christ. He doesn't say patiently waiting for the day of the Lord. No. Nor did he say we're to be patiently waiting for the time of tribulation to come. No. That's not the point. Patiently waiting for Christ. He's the one who's going to come and take us out of here. That's who we're to be waiting for. That's our expectation. And that's our hope. Amen. We've got a blessed hope. Praise God. I'm waiting on my Savior. I'm not looking for the undertaker, as they say. I'm looking for the undertaker. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. My question for you as we come to this invitation, how's your love for God? How is your love for God? Is it what it ought to be? Or my friend, do you need to come and say, Lord, forgive me for letting things come between me and you. Lord, forgive me for letting things get in my vision that I desire sometimes more than you. Lord, please, Help me with the, the lure of this world that it not draw my eyes off of you. Lord God, please don't let it cause me to fear. Lord God, please don't let it cause me to be hindered from, from, from doing the work of God and sharing the, the message of salvation to those around me. Lord God, please don't let this world take my eyes off of you. 
Whatever you need here this morning, would you come and do this? 118, we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing. Father, I pray, Lord, you bless the invitation now. Holy Spirit of God, work in our, in our midst and do a work I can't do, but do a work in the hearts of your people. Please bless and please move now. Please speak. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 